Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republican AZCentral.com. Joining me this week at our Capitol Bureau are Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Ryan Randazzo. I'm a business reporter. Dustin Gardner. I cover the state legislature. This week on the Gaggle, will we really see a special session tackling gun control in the wake of the Texas school shootings? Six years after Representative Paul Gosar promised his constituents he would eventually buy a home in his adopted district, he still hasn't done so. But first, APS is putting putting out a full court press against a ballot initiative that would significantly boost the requirement for renewable energy. Ryan, you cover APS and its parent company, Pinnacle West. They are spending lots of money already. We've got months to go till the November elections. Can you give us a sense of what their strategy is in defeating this initiative? Well, they've got a multifaceted strategy right now just to sort of build public opposition to this ballot initiative. They're fighting it at at all levels. They had bills at the legislature that would basically nullify um, this ballot measure. They're challenging the signature gathering. They're doing uh, some sort of uh, traditional advertising. And then they're doing some uh, grassroots efforts where they're getting all of the chambers of commerce across the state where they provide electricity and where they are the largest members of the chamber of commerce or where they have people on the boards of those chambers of commerce coming out in opposition um, to try and get the statewide business community to oppose this renewable energy measure. I mean, it seems like any efforts to kind of boost renewable energy in a state like Arizona would be a no-brainer. What's APS's argument specifically against this initiative? Well, they've they've got a lot of different arguments against it. Um, I think sort of the root of their uh, hatred here is that there's no flexibility for them. So as this is going on, the regulators in the state, the Arizona Corporation Commission, they're proposing to increase renewable energy in Arizona. I mean, that's just something that the public wants, uh, the public basically demands, and um, we're going to see. We're going to see more solar and more wind here. But this ballot measure would force it in a way that is not flexible, not negotiable. So if voters say they want this 50% renewable energy standard by 2030, APS can't go to the regulators and ask them to amend the rules or bend the rules or waive the rules or change the rules in any way because you can't change what the voters approve. Um, So they'd rather see a renewable energy standard increase come from the regulators who they communicate with and, and have some give and take with. This initiative would not allow that. It would set the standard and they would have to meet it. And if that meant... Um, curtailing some of their other power plants, their coal and nuclear plants. If that's what they had to do to meet it, then they would just have to do it. They couldn't ask um, for any uh, uh, carve-outs or anything. And that's because it would be voter-protected, essentially, right? Correct. So they'd have to come back with another ballot initiative in order to change it. Which would be pretty difficult. I mean, the renewable energy standards that were passed in 2006 get... um, they get retried basically every year. APS comes in and says, hey, here's the standard. Here's how we're meeting it. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. We'd like to change some things. Um, and, uh, the, and and so they, they get that approved annually by the Corporation Commission. And I think they like that process because they're very good at pleading their case before the five elected regulators, some of whom they helped win their office. So that, that's a procedure that works really well for that utility having voters tell them what to do and and not being able to negotiate it at all is is not something they're interested in. 
Do you have a sense as to how much profit this initiative could cost APS? That's that's tough um, because when they build something, they get to charge customers for it plus a markup. So if they have to build new stuff, uh, new solar and wind facilities to meet this requirement, um, they theoretically could earn that back from customers. But I think what they're afraid of is if they uh, they call it stranded assets. So if they've built a power plant and it's supposed to run for 60 years and, and that power plant's not flexible, it can't go up and down to, to match the solar demand and production, and they have to close that power plant, like the Choya Coal Plant in northern Arizona or the Palo Verde Nuclear Plant west of Phoenix, then they don't get the full life out of it. And, and that's one of their concerns, that, that they would basically be losing some, some of their assets. And I think it's interesting that this these ballot initiatives come um, at the same time as another initiative. This is the outlaw dirty money initiative that voters, you know, will likely potentially could face on the on the ballot in November. This would prohibit um, or limit, I guess, anonymous spending in elections. And you know, it's no secret that APS has been, a, uh, you know, a major player in races up and down the ballot in terms of funneling. Um, dark money into those campaigns. I guess I'm just curious if you have any sense, Ryan, if the APS's reputation as a company, um, if that's something voters are thinking about, is that a concern for the company when it comes to November? You know, I I have to guess that APS and Pinnacle West have just given up on that public image um, and the damage that's done through dark money. Because when I look around the country, other utilities are concerned that they would have to do too much renewable energy. And they're, they're concerned with all the same issues. There's nothing really unique about Arizona. But you don't see other utilities spending millions of dollars in in the elections to affect uh, utility regulators and being now upfront about it, um, just saying, "Hey, we we used to say this was inappropriate and we're not going to do it." And to what we have now from APS saying, "No, it is appropriate. We want to make sure that we get the regulators that uh, treat our company fairly, and so we're going to spend uh, millions of dollars for these races, which only pay eighty thousand dollars a year for the office." So. Um, I, I have to assume that they just don't care uh, what c- customers and folks think about the utility playing so big in state elections. We should also note that APS is one of the major financial donors to uh, a group, the Arizona Education Project, which has been running ads uh, propping up the governor's uh, work or efforts towards improving public education. They've, they, along with other allies, including the Chambers Foundation and um, other business-minded entities, have spent about a million dollars. Do you have a sense of what their budget might look like for political spending heading into 2018? And do you have a sense as to whether or not they are going to disclose all of their spending this cycle? Well, according to them, they're going to disclose it. But just like in the 2016 cycle, they're not going to disclose it until long after the election. Um, so we're going to know at some point uh, what they spend, but we're, we're not going to know as, as people are going to the ballots. So far, they have at least three PACs, and they've given more than $5 million. Uh, now, the Steyer Initiative, which we were talking about earlier, the Renewable Energy Ballot Initiative, they've already spent a million, and by all indications, they're going to spend a lot more to put that in front of voters and, and try and get it to pass in November. But APS, as you mentioned, is not just spending money on that ballot initiative, but also probably some on the Dark Money Initiative and then on all these other races besides the Corporation Commission. And we almost certainly we'll see them spend money on legislative races. Um, we'll see if they will play on the uh, school voucher-related initiative, which is um, another key uh 
uh, initiative that, you know, they I, you would think that they would want to help the governor on. And well, it's interesting because it seems like, you know, in the past they tried to be somewhat coy about the fact that they were playing in certain legislative races, um, you know, other races up and down the ballot. I mean, I guess are you just getting the sense that they don't care if people know that they're funneling money into all these elections? Well, I think they want now they don't want to give up their uh, ability to spend. Uh, so they still want to play large in the elections, but they are issuing this report, this voluntary report uh, that came about after a lot of debate over whether or not the utility should even be allowed to uh, spend money in the Corporation Commission election. So now they're saying we're still going to do it. We have every right to do it. Uh, you know, it's our First Amendment right to to uh, play in these elections. And, and we're going to tell you voluntarily what we what we did after the fact. I mean, it should also not be lost on anyone that there is a federal investigation that had been opened a couple of years ago. We don't know the status of that investigation. Um, do you have a sense as to how that is playing into their decision to disclose? Well, I think that probably brought some pressure from the board members um, and and obviously the public. You know, we saw protests at um one of their uh, annual meetings uh, here in Phoenix where people were protesting on the street, uh, asking them to disclose their dark money funding. I'm sure the the board of Pinnacle West is concerned when the FBI is talking to the to the company that you're um, responsible for. Uh, they must have some confidence that they're not breaking the law. Um, but uh, I think that probably would make anyone nervous that that they at least were being investigated, and we don't know the status of that. What came out of it was, I think, a surprise to many people, is we knew the FBI was investigating APS and Pinnacle West and, and, and statewide elections in 2014. We are all expecting some sort of uh, charges or indictment to come out of that investigation, and what popped out instead was an indictment dealing with George Johnson and a water utility. Um, so the FBI started on one target, found another one they liked better, and that's going to go to trial at the end of the month here, um, where we have a former utility regulator uh, being accused of taking bribes from a water utility. We haven't seen anything come out uh, regarding APS. So going back to the ballot initiative, I'm a voter. I'm, you know, turning on the TV, driving down the road. What what kind of information will I expect to see over the next few months about this initiative? Well, already, I think that's turned ugly early, uh, where you just have a real negative campaign um, on both sides. You've got the Steyer Group saying the APS is dirty, profitable utility, uses a lot of fossil fuels, don't trust anything they say. You've got the APS-backed group saying, hey, don't trust Steyer. He's a billionaire. He's from California. If you look at the, both sides, you'd really get zero facts on what the initiative would do, why it's a good idea, or why it's a bad idea. We ought to get a, a picture of Mr. Steyer and frame it and hang it on our wall here at the Capitol Bureau alongside the Koch brothers. Well, we'll, we'll look into that. <laughs> Ron, you wrote about Representative Paul Gosar's uh, promise to constituents uh, that he would actually buy a home and live in the district he represents. You revealed that, uh, you know, six years later, he still has not done so. And in fact, he has done something that might optically at, at least look a little 
worse than not even fulfilling that promise. Take us through uh, his residential records. Yeah, so to be clear right at the top, nothing that that Paul Gosar has done breaks the law or creates any kind of legal issues in that respect, as far as we can tell at this point. But it is something that is something of a political liability, or at least something to explain away. Um, Paul Gosar represents northwestern Arizona, and he lives in Flagstaff and has for many years, actually decades. And he has been receiving for years uh, a special state subsidy on his property taxes that's tied to local education. This is worth about $600 a year to he and his wife. This is a tax credit that's only available to people for their primary residence. And so the Gosars list this Flagstaff property as their primary residence. Of course, Paul Gosar has an apartment that he's maintained for years in Prescott. And so this is an issue of where do you live? Where do you uh, identify yourself with? Paul Gosar is registered to vote in Yavapai County in Prescott. His wife is listed uh, as a registered voter in Coconino County in Flagstaff. So she is not voting for her husband. Uh, we, I guess we can report that with confidence these days. But um, this is something that is um, at odds with what both Gosars really told us six years ago, that, um, that they intended to buy a second home in the Prescott area and here it is six years later, and there's no sign that they have done so. Do you have a sense as to why he didn't buy that second home? I don't know. I would love to know the answer to that. Paul Gosar has not answered our questions. We've reached out to his his uh, communications people and uh, done so repeatedly over the last two weeks, really, to try and get some take as to why uh, all of this looks the way it does. Um, I should note that one of the reasons that they had uh, kept their house in Prescott or in Flagstaff at the time was noting that their daughter, their youngest daughter, was going to school at Northern Arizona University. And, you know, that was um, four to six years ago now. She has um, uh, presumably finished her studies, and at some point uh, there's nothing that would hold uh, back the Gosars from buying a second home if they were so inclined. Uh, to my knowledge, they have not talked about living primarily in uh, Prescott. It was always uh, pitched as, as a second home. So, yeah, I mean, we, we just don't have any, any good answers on this. And, and a lot of time, obviously, has passed since uh, they have made these statements. I think an interesting aspect of this is just the different rules um, for different levels of elected office. I mean, you know, it, it, if he's not living, you know, in Prescott, that isn't illegal, correct? Right. So, um Basically, as I understand it, the uh, the Constitution sets um, the the relevant um, strictures on what you can do in terms of a member of Congress, and so states cannot be more restrictive on what the qualifications for a member of Congress um, is than what uh, the Constitution and and federal law um, already speaks to. So the states can't require you to live in your district, and in fact, uh, the Ninth Circuit. Um, in California has held that you don't even have to live in your state uh, at the time that you're elected. You just have to be there when you are sworn in. So uh, this is something that's fair. Residency and the geographic boundaries that you live within are some somewhat 
murky standards, and there have been some notable uh, uh, examples through the years in Arizona and elsewhere of people who lived outside their districts and uh, creating sort of an odd fit for someone that you call representative. But um, the short answer is that you don't have to live in your district, but it is something that is politically inconvenient if you don't. I, mean, I think that's fascinating because under the Arizona Constitution, a member of the legislature, you know, they cannot, you know, they must live in their district. You know, there's no, you know, um, question about that. And that's even true at the city level um, in Arizona. And, you know, there's been some pretty notorious cases in the legislature over the years. I think one of the most recent ones was Representative Darren Mitchell, who ran um, in a West Valley legislative district. And I, his home was essentially... Um, with a home he was claiming was essentially a vacant property with a mattress on the floor. Um, but he's been reelected, you know, several times since then. So apparently voters didn't, didn't mind. Well, and then there's also the issue of uh, the now ex-Senator Don Shooter, who allegedly lived in Yuma, but we all know he lives up here over near the Biltmore where he dines and wines <laughs> frequently. So, I mean, how, how, uh, how much do people really care, I guess? I mean, do, do Yuma people clearly, Yuma voters do not care where Don Shooter lived, right? Like, Yeah. It, it's hard to make the case that voters do care, uh, I guess, in among the constellation of things that they can consider because they do send these folks back term after term after term. Paul Gosar is um, in one of the safest congressional districts in the country for a Republican. Uh, only 32 uh, members in the GOP had districts that voted more lopsidedly uh, for Donald Trump in 2016. So he is in a very, very safe place. If anyone is to, uh, you know, take action against him, it almost certainly has to come from a Republican in that district. Um, the fact is that I'm sure that voters in in Yavapai County and elsewhere in that district probably aren't thrilled that their representative doesn't really live there. But again, if the alternative were, say, a Democrat or somebody who is uh, objectionable on other grounds, even as a Republican, uh, they'd say, give us the, uh, the interloper, carpetbagger, the part-timer, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they keep signing up for Paul Gosar. In the wake of the school shooting in uh, Santa Fe, Texas, there are renewed calls here in Arizona for Governor Ducey and the Republican-controlled legislature to take up gun control and or school safety uh, measures, however you want to frame it. Um, Democrats are calling for the governor to call a special session. Is that something we could actually see? Yeah, you know, I actually think we could. Um, you know, let's not forget a couple weeks ago, the governor was pushing a bill in the legislature that was his school slash gun safety plan. Um, that was a pretty encompassing bill. Democrats didn't like it. They didn't think it, it, it went far enough, given it didn't include things like um, universal background checks on all gun sales. Um, but, you know, the governor's office has said that they're, they're open to this idea, or at least they haven't closed the, the door on this idea of a special session. Um, and I don't think Democrats are the only ones that are um, 
pushing that idea. I mean, I talked to Senator Steve Smith, who uh, a Republican who had sponsored uh, the bill that included elements of Ducey's plan. Um, you know, and just yesterday he was saying that he, you know, hopes something happens sooner than later. He, you know, he said, God forbid, you know, that another shooting happened and we didn't act on this. And, you know, I don't think the people that are concerned about this, um, Republicans and Democrats, don't want to wait until 2019 when the legislature reconvenes. So just to remind people, uh, the governor's plan called for about 100 more police officers in schools, a new type of restraining order to keep guns out of uh, the hands of unstable, mentally unstable people. That was a, a key provision. Um, in his plan, and more mental health uh, counseling in schools, as well as a school safety tip hotline. It seems pretty innocuous when you take a look at the priorities and you sit in the briefings. I mean, aside for, for from the lack of um, universal um, loopholes, the, the closure of the, the universal loopholes. Background, background checks. Background checks, yeah. excuse me. Um, what are the politics that drove its, its demise? Yeah, I mean... It- it might seem somewhat um, the, the plan seems somewhat tame, I guess, on its face. But uh, you know, Democrats, like I said, were just concerned that it didn't go far enough. They felt like this was just kind of a, a feel-good proposal without any teeth. And the fact that the NRA, National Rifle Association, the most powerful gun lobby group in the country, the fact that they endorse it, kind of heightened those suspicions for Democrats. Um, but there are also critics on the right, and you mentioned the the stop order piece, the special type of restraining order. Republicans and conservatives um, were concerned that that could infringe on individual liberties. You know, if um, it would essentially be empowering the judicial system to remove someone's guns before they had committed a, a specific crime based on the fear that they might commit a crime um, or the evidence that they were posing a threat. Um, so I think, you know, there were concerns all the way around. Um, and even the governor's office wasn't happy with where the bill was at, um, you know, when the legislature adjourned. It had been amended several times to water down some of the key provisions. So I think if this comes back in a special session, we'll see maybe a return to more of the original proposal that Ducey had had pushed. Um, and But again, I think it's always going to be a difficult political road for him. Um, if Democrats won't get on board, it, you know, he even has difficulty getting his own party in some in some respect. I mean, what does it say to you guys that we're even having this conversation in Arizona, a deep red Second Amendment state, or at least traditionally a, a deep red state? I think that the question answers itself. The fact that we are talking about it, that any that there's any suspense at all about this is pretty uh, telling. The fact is that um, there has been uh, a significant movement in public sentiment on the issue of guns and public safety over the last year or so um, in a way that has put a, a real um, uh, amount of pressure on Republicans and gun rights activists to at least explore things that they can do to make this issue go away. Um, the uh, the idea of a Republican governor in an election year putting any kind of gun control measures, public safety measures, uh, with an eye toward curbing gun violence uh, out there as an issue is, is really, it was unthinkable just a few years ago. Obviously, events like Las Vegas and Parkland and more recently in, in Santa Fe and Texas, um, this is the sort of thing that is indicative of how widespread this um, sort of uh, uh, erosion in public confidence and, and the, uh, the 
how bumper sticker sort of um, policy approaches on this no longer hold anymore. And I think it's easy to forget how um, key the student movement around this has been. You know, um, there was a huge movement even in Arizona around the March for Our Lives um, student protests. Um, In March, they led a 15,000-person march uh, down to the Capitol here. Um, But I think a lot of that kind of got lost in all the attention around Red for Ed at the end of the legislative session. Um, But, you know, this has been a huge grassroots movement in Arizona and across the country. And I think that's part of that is why... um, Ducey and other Republicans have moved so far on this. Um, And it's also interesting that Ducey's um, plan has got a couple of interesting shout outs on the national level. It was uh, mentioned on Meet the Press uh, last Sunday and then also got a shout out in the National Review this week. Um, Conservatives saying, you know, that this is the type of plan that Republicans could get behind, you know, as they face increasing pressure to act on, you know, gun violence. Well, you know, and on that, though, if we're talking about 100 officers in public schools, that works out in a school system of a million or more students to about one officer per 10,000 students. Um, That's about the population of Sedona. My guess is that there's more than one police officer for the town of Sedona, and this is why there's been the pushback and there's the lingering uh, unresolved nature of this, that the public sees this as inadequate to the uh, the challenges that they face. And in fairness to, you know, gun rights folks, you look at Santa Fe and they thought they had a plan in place. They thought their school was safe on this. It's not that there weren't plans and contingencies for trying to protect students. Uh, we've seen even in Parkland that there were uh, public safety officers there Um, They couldn't avert a disaster or even mitigate it in that one to any great extent. So uh, I think that there is a a real um, uh, quandary for people who are acting in good faith as to what to do about these things. But there is this uh, clear political imperative to be seen as doing something about this. And and that in itself represents a turning point in this issue. And I think what you mentioned about um, just the failure of some of these policies to stop shootings in other places or some of these measures. I, th- I think that's why Ducey's administration is focused so heavily on the stop order piece. You know, they're, they've pointed out that several of the last major shootings involved um, young people that had shown signs of mental illness and no one had had the mechanism or no one had taken any steps to prevent it. So I think that's why they feel that is by far the most crucial piece. Our final segment, who hasn't gotten back to you or hasn't given you the records, Ryan? Well, we're still waiting to hear from Tom Steyer. He's spending a ton of money in our state. He's uh, caused this huge dust up with the state's biggest utility. Um, We're going to see advertisements for the next several months uh, everywhere we go. It would be nice to sit down with a guy and see what his motivations are and why he has such a keen interest in our state. Amen. Ron. Paul Gosar, uh, once and always, the congressman who has so much to say to other folks like Breitbart. Um, It would be nice if he would pick up the phone and talk to his state's largest newspaper and 
especially when we have particular questions regarding his residency and uh, where he's uh, getting tax breaks and such. Let me just add that uh, I have not antagonized him or kicked him in the shins as much as Mr. Hansen has, but I did call him recently about his uh, proposed legislation for the coal plant near Page, and I didn't get a call back from Mr. Gosar either. So call us, Mr. Gosar. Dustin? Um, I have not been hearing back from Senator Sylvia Allen or Representative Brenda Barton. Um, I've been trying to reach both of them for a story about a little bill that died this session. Um, This was a measure that would create a state monument to Mormon pioneers who settled a lot of eastern Arizona and southern Arizona. you know, and no one could figure out why this bill died in the session. And it turns out, um, from what I'm hearing, that this was caught up in a primary fight. Uh, Barton is challenging Allen for her Senate seat in northern Arizona. Their district is a heavily uh, Mormon LDS district. And I think, from what I'm hearing, um, there was some kind of squabble um, and not wanting to give Barton, who is the original sponsor of the bill, potentially a, a, a win that she could uh, show to constituents in, in the primary. I advocate that we have a beat reporter full time on that race because that sounds like it's going to be crazy. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to go back (laughs) to an oldie but goodie. Uh, The Department of Administration still a year later has not given us the underlying documents tied to um, workplace complaints involving uh, state officials. I really would like to see them. That's it for today. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, at Yvonne Winget. I'm at Utility Reporter. I'm at Dustin Gardner. That's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Haley Sanchez and Carly Henry. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you guys next week.